welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Wachler, coming to you from my living room here in Reading, England, where I'll be holed up for the next month. Speaking of lockdown, we're all hoping that the new look Fulham defence will continue the watertight, stingy approach shown against West Brom on Monday evening into this Saturday's game with West Ham and beyond. It's a massive London derby for us at the London Stadium. And here to preview the game with me is star of stage, screen and podcast, Jay Mack and star of piss artistry, Morgan Carlson. Plus, Danny joins me for a player in focus chat about former Whites right back and current West Ham player, Ryan Fredericks. So let's get right on with it. Fulham. Right, lads. Well, it's Fulham's second visit to the London Stadium. Last time in February 2019, despite Ryan Babble's first Fulham goal giving us an early lead, Javier Hernandez equalised with his hand and we lost 3-1 in an utterly soulless environment to watch football. Morgs, I'm going to come to you first. What's the best and worst grounds you've ever watched Fulham in? The best, I'm going to choose two here. I'm going to sort of, first best, it's a, a little bit unfashionable now, but I'm going to say Anfield. I think there's something still special about that ground. Obviously, they're a little bit uh, Sky's, Sky Sports love child almost at the moment, but when we went there, and I think '98, when um, Pesh scored his uh, wonder goal, you know, there was even then it was just like there's something about the atmosphere that is electric, and uh, I've you know always been a big fan of it. The the other one, which is slightly possibly questionable opinion, I love when we played uh, some of the big games at Loftus Road. I thought we managed to create a really good atmosphere at that ground, and because it was so compact, you know, it's basically a tin shed. It just felt like the place was rocking when we did play there. And I think, you know, the uh, the Spurs home game when we came back from 2-0, 1-3-2, I think that was one of those particularly special nights. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a nice ground, but I would certainly say it was a good atmosphere when we were there. But in terms of worst, in, for atmosphere, I would say Highbury was the least impressive one. And obviously it did have its uh, nickname Highbury, the library. And I kind of feel it lived up to its reputation there. Because it just felt, even though there were 38,000 people in it, it just felt like there was nobody there. And obviously, you know, a lot of these grounds where you get like tourist fans or whatever, it does take a goal to get people excited, but you know, it just didn't really sort of do it for me. But in terms of the worst grounds out there, I think Fratton Park, that away section of Fratton Park is really something to behold. Uh, it's horrible. I say that sort of not in the best way because uh, I went to uni there, got family from there. So the club as a whole, I quite like, but the, the ground is a massive shithole. Well, the reason I'm asking you is because I used to love going to Upton Park, West Ham. I, I think there were some nice pubs around the area. The The walk to the ground was pretty grotty, but it was a traditional walk to the stadium, walking through all the markets, the local community, and then you've got this, this massive stadium um, right on people's doorsteps. And it was quite a nice ground when you got in there as well. And our, our record there wasn't too bad. Um, but now when I went to the London Stadium a couple of years ago, there's a massive gap between the uh, the lower tier and the upper tier. Very difficult to get an atmosphere going. Fine for the Olympics when everyone's shouting on some runners because um, everyone's just shouting, go on, go on, go on. But when you're trying to get some chance going and you're trying to b- build a bit of um, camaraderie between upper and lower tier, it was just absolutely impossible and I hated it. Plus the walk to the ground, you walk out of the train station straight into Westfield 
And instead of going for a pint in the pub, I, I went up and I got something to eat in Westfield. And you've got these football fans all stood in the in the middle of the supermarket. Sorry, not in the supermarket, in, in the middle of the shopping centre, having a beer in the middle of the shopping centre. It's just very surreal. It didn't strike me as West Ham at all. But that is the thing. They build these grounds now on massive brownfield sites where there is nothing around them. And that's kind of what they like, because it means they can actually have a massive footprint over the whole area. But back when they built these stadiums in the early 1900s, or in some cases the late 1800s, they they would build them in the middle of communities. And that's the that's kind of how the clubs got their fan bases. And that's the sort of the, the really exciting bit. And I remember going to Goodison Park a few years ago, and you walk through the line yeah. of terraced houses. And I went with yeah. um, an Everton mate of mine, and we uh, we stopped at a pub, which was basically the Rover's Return, but grottier. It had, you know, an old, one of those old sort of big TVs, because obviously they wouldn't put the flat screen in there because that would be gone in a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like, but it was great. The whole atmosphere there was brilliant. Uh, but you just obviously don't get that as much anymore. Well, that was the beauty of Highbury as well, because that, that was a huge stadium right in the middle of the local community. And Arsenal did brilliantly as well to rebuild uh, a, a brand new stadium, 60,000 odd stadium, just a few yards up the road. Um, but, so they managed to keep it in their roots. Whereas you're right, you know, my, the local stadium to me, Reading, that's right by the motorway, right, you know, right next to McDonald's and uh, just a, an awful kind of trading estate. And, you know, the, the the other ground I just wanted to give a notable mention to for being an absolute shithole is um, MK Dons. Obviously, everything about that club is terrible anyway, but their stadium is right in the middle of a retail park and they're just the worst. Everything about MK Dons is the worst. And I know we're, we're here to preview the West Ham game and I've gone off on one here. But absolute terrible club, terrible ground. I went there when we played them a few years ago. It's bloody freezing. We didn't beat them. Um, just just a shit club. Anyway, <laughs> Jack Mack. No, I, I, mate, I totally agree. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because we're talking about stadiums, the best atmosphere, the worst atmosphere we've seen Fulham play. Just a special mention to AFC Wimbledon, who actually arrive in Plough Lane tonight. Uh, it's their first game tonight, this evening, and that's an amazing story. So massive kudos to them. Um, in terms of stadiums that, I, uh, that I've that i seen Fulham play in, I, I'm, I only started, I found football very late, and I only started supporting Fulham only seven years ago. So mentally, I'm a seven-year-old when it comes to football, in, in other ways more than one. But I think... Out of the stadiums I've been to on away days, I mean, I went to Manchester United to watch us um, when AK scored that penalty and we still lost. It was terrible. But uh, I thought that was quite soulless, like Morgan was alluding to with Anfield. It was very, very quiet. You know, we were all singing, is this a library? And it was. It didn't really work because all the <laughs> all the Man United fans were just pointing at all the empty seats we were standing next to in the Fulham end. So it was quite ironic. But I, I feel like the, the, out of the worst, the, the biggest shitholes I've been to so far are the Majeski. I would say Selhurst, I'm not a big fan of. I don't like Croydon very much in, in general. But I just think, take 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 your drum, take your eagle and fuck off. I don't believe it's a very... It's just like, you know, oh, the atmosphere is brilliant. You can't say that. That eagle died. Oh, okay. R.I.P. to the palace eagle. Hopefully hopefully the drummer didn't, you know. Let's hope he's safe and well. Yeah. Kakar, old friend, Kakar. In terms of the best the best atmosphere, I don't know. When I went to Charlton, the Valley, I really loved going there. Um, And I love, for some reason, I really love Bristol City's ground. There's just something about it. But it's something about being under the lights as well. Those games I went to were at 7 p.m. kickoff sort of thing. So. Yeah, not not the obvious. I think it does pick. work, doesn't it? it? When it when the games are under the lights, there does seem to be you know a better atmosphere 
wherever you go. I know we always uh, yeah. talk about the cottage under the lights, but when any ground you go to, it always seems to be a better atmosphere at the night games. It doesn't matter anymore anyway, because we're playing in front of empty stadiums. So they're all they're all soulless at the moment. But the London Stadium just wasn't for me last time I went there. And um, and I really feel for those West Ham fans because West Ham's a great club. It's a tr- traditional club, um, steeped with history. And as was Upton Park or the bowling ground, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I was really gutted for them when they when they moved to the, the London Stadium. And my worst fears were confirmed when, when I went there a couple of years ago and watched Fulham there. Let's move on, though. Of course, it's not only a London derby, but this game is an extra bit of spice, given that ex-West Ham multiplayer of the season winner Scott Parker returns to the club as an opposing manager for the first time. It's another huge game for Scott, and given the excellent result in the week, this is a good game to gauge where we currently are as a team, isn't it? Absolutely. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think this is a good game to have where we currently are as a team. We hit rock bottom with Villa, like I said, in the last pod and with the Brentford Cup game. And then we slowly started improving with Sheffield, only it was only a draw. Two steps back with Palace. Progress isn't a straight line, though, as Obama President Obama once said, which is uh, very in keeping with the recent presidential elections. But anyway, now we've won a game. We can see where we can build on with that momentum. I just don't think West Ham are an outfit that we should be too scared of. With I think Antonio's not going to be playing and they haven't got Downing, their club captain, potentially. And of course, they've got, you know, my husband, Jared Bowen playing. But everyone says how West Brom were terrible. And of course they were, but we, we did make them terrible as well. A decent West Ham side without their leading goal scoring captain is a good second test for us. And, and not as big a gulp as it could have been in my eye. I think this is the perfect next step to see how improved we are. You know, J-Mac, at the start of the season when we got promoted, you were worried that Scott Parker was going to do really well at a time when David Moyes wasn't doing so well at West Ham. And Mm. I think you were concerned that Scott Parker was going to be poached by West Ham, weren't you? I still think that could happen easily. If we manage to stay up and we're still playing this lovely football, I think West Ham fans could get quite tempted with the, the West Ham way, which we bang they've been banging on about for years. They really, I've got to just say now, just go out on a limb here. I, I can't stand West Ham. I really can't. I hate them. Uh, but like, I just, I just I, I, fa- the, the West Ham way, their fans are never happy. I bet they're absolutely livid that they can't be pissed off with David Moyes right now that they're doing well. They just always seem like the most miserable bastards, you know, a bunch of absolute smithies. You've seen Fulham Twitter recently. No, what has happened? <laughs> seems to be general sort of negativities around. I know we're <laughs> near the bottom of the table, but. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's doom and gloom when you're not top of the league. No, it's true. It's true. Maybe I'm being a bit hypocritical there. I haven't exactly been a bag of laughs these past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of appointment I can see West Ham trying to make if Scott Parker is successful with us for sure. Well, we talked on the um, on the West Brom preview last week quite a bit about what it would mean for Scott Parker if we didn't beat West Brom and how we were concerned that it might mean that he was he was given the boot by the Khans because we know that they like a panic sacking. And that kind of went arm in arm with um, a conversation we had about Tony Khan and how any conversation that we have about Scott Parker's job being at risk should be also about Tony Khan's job being at risk. 
because it seems like, you know, how many mistakes can one person make before their job's at risk? That That's kind of the question here. And and there's there's two people here who, who need to kind of be in the firing line. However, we're not in that position now because we did get that good result against West Brom. We got a good performance. We dominated West Brom. And now we go into this this game with West Ham full of confidence, Morgs. Yeah, and the, I think the one key thing for the team now, they have to guard against complacency. And I know you don't get complacent after one win. Obviously, they'll be riding a bit of a, you know the crest of the wave after that result and the way we did it, because obviously it was a much improved performance, but it was against a team who, let's face it, aren't that great. And we will be around them at the end of the season, but we're coming up against a team who, whilst, as Jay might says, we shouldn't be scared of, we need to be wary of because Moyes has them very well organised. They've got some very good players. And having spoken to a couple of West Ham fans, there are players in there that are doing well that we may not really consider. A couple of the Czech signings and various things like that. I mean, whilst it may not be, you know, these home and away games, it might not matter where we're playing home and away, we actually have to be sort of very wary of the team that we're playing. And I think Moyes is experienced enough that he will know our weaknesses and he will know how to counter them. And we need to make sure that we come off that game with West Ham with the confidence, but also knowing how best to play with ourselves. No, that sounds wrong. But we will... <laughs> we will, <laughs> we will <laughs> but we will... Play... <laughs> Always good to have you on the show, mate. Always good to have yeah, you on. <laughs> so, innuendo hour, nice and strong. But the... Uh, but, you know, I think for the um, the players, they've, they would have got that bit of confidence. And I think they will know that we can play in this slightly more counter-attacking way that we played against West Brom. So I think we need to take a lot of heart from that result and hopefully that will drive them forward to make sure that we don't suddenly just let all that hard work go to waste against West Ham. And I've got confidence in Scott, maybe naively optimistic, but I have confidence in him that he'll make sure that we are sort of set out in a way that will play good football against West Ham, but also uh, effective football. And let's fingers crossed that we don't let any silly mistakes get in the way. It's difficult to know what to expect from West Ham because they've had a mixed bag of results so far. Uh, They had a loss, a win and a draw in their three home games so far against Newcastle, Wolves and Man City, respectively. And then they suffered defeats away at Arsenal and Liverpool, somehow snatched an excellent point away at Spurs, having been 3-0 down after just 16 minutes. And then they went and hammered Leicester 3-0 away. J-Mac, what have you made of David Moyes' side this season? It's very funny with David Moyes because I was really enjoying getting a thrill of him losing all these games. He started off when he first joined West Ham recently when he signed a new contract saying that, you know, I win, that's what I do. And he really wasn't doing that at all. But look, they scored the first goal against City, which was a, you know, they 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 play in a 5-4-1 formation. They're very well organised in the Moyes style. So they can be tricky. It could be very similar to the Crystal Palace game in lots of ways. I think we will dominate possession this game because keeping possession of the ball isn't their thing. But I think we can control the game. But it's just stretching them out that I'm worried about because with that 5-4-1 that they've played most this season, it's going to be really tricky. And I know Antonio isn't going to be playing this game. I don't think he is anyway, but Haller up front is still a big threat. I think it will be quite a tough test in how rigid they are. Next thing I want to ask you guys is, and off the back of the, the confident performance we put in the other night, is who's the Fulham player to watch in this game for you, Morgs? I think we have to give a lot of credit to Tom Kearney for his performance. And I think he needs to build on that because obviously last time in the Premier League, he didn't have a good season. He's been questionable for a while, but the, these last few performances from him have actually 
given us hope that perhaps there's a second wind in his Fulham career. And I think we need to be looking at him to keep putting in those performances. So hopefully <clears throat> with him in the centre of midfield, we c- can give the other players, you know, be it Lookman and, uh, you know, whether it's Bobby Reed again or if we, uh, Loftus-Cheek comes back in, giving them a bit of a licence to roam. But I think our big, not surprise, but I think, you know, pleasantly surprised by the fact that Anguissa has been so damn good this year. Uh, he has, you yeah. know, he's got a bit of a mistake in him. He's been, you know, a couple of times he was dispossessed uh, in dangerous positions. But the way he works the ball forward, moves forward, his play just, it looks another class from what we've been used to. Recently. He made that so first think, goal. He made that first yeah, goal. I mean, I was watching from. that again. And it's just like the way he drove forward and got the ball out to Robinson. It was like, yeah. without a player of that quality doing that, we don't get to that position. And so I think he needs to carry on in that, um, you know, vein of form. And he's going to be incredibly important this season. And it's really good, and you know, to see him come into his own in this team now that he's actually, you know, cemented a place in it. How about you, J-Mac? I mean, for me, Tom Kearney's the first name on the team sheet at the moment. And at the end of last season, I was I was quite happy for him to be left out for the run-in. But now, just the other night, he was he was absolutely superb. He was unplayable. He's like a completely mm. different player to the one who finished last season. All right, he had a good game in the playoff final, but building up to that, he was he was very average. But yeah, him and him and Anguissa at the moment are, are superb in our midfield. What about you? What do you think? Definitely Tom Kenny's one to look out for. Um, judging by who scored.com, you know, West Ham's weaknesses so far from this season have been their greatest weaknesses defending against through ball attacks. So if Tom Kenny is in that number 10 role, similar to how he was against West Brom, he could cause them a number of problems. It doesn't matter if it's not West Brom. It, 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 still, he can definitely cause some damage. Um, it was just so nice. To, I think that's one of the best games I've seen Tom Kenny play and he didn't score a goal. He just was absolutely electric that game. It was wonderful to see. Am I right in thinking that West Ham have been linked with trying to sign him in the past, or have I made that up? More than once. Yeah. I think it's yeah. been two times now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is the problem, though. As soon as someone like him gets in form, then you start thinking, oh, God, I don't want him to leave. But, you know, he, he's, people might start having a look at him and, and, and he might end up being subject of a bid. I think, he's yeah. probably, I think he's probably at that age now where it's not so much of an issue. I think a couple of years ago when he was, what, 26, 27? What is he now, 29? I think, yeah, let's I think say, that. Give, let's say that. Give or take. But yeah, I think he's not at the age where, you know, someone's going to come in with a big money bid for him. You know, they might come in with a bid, but it will be, you know, not the kind of money that we'd be silly to turn down. So I think he can go and have these good performances without us being worried that sometime in the season, Everton or West Ham are going to come back in for him. Famous I feel so fickle word. with this conversation, though. Because Me I too. Was, honestly, I, I honestly, I, I was so anti-Tom Kenny two weeks ago and even a bit last <laughs> week as well. I just I looked at all the goals we've conceded, just you know, his head dropped down, him not tracking it back, him him pointing at runners and stuff. And, and now I'm just like, we, we can't get rid of Tom Kenny. Get yeah. man. I'm just like, but like such a prick. That's the, exactly. But that's our right yeah. as a first football fan we're allowed to be fickle and I was just trying to remember as well whether or not it was in our team chat or whether it was on the podcast and I think it was in the team chat when I was saying that I think we that now would be the right time to cash in on him and I think the club <laughs> might cash in on him but now I'm thinking if he's playing like that I don't want the club to cash in on him he's, he's brilliant when he's like that that's outstanding but it's as always with the players that we've got it's consistency and can they keep playing like that for um uh you know 10 games in a row or is that just like once in a blue moon when he puts in a performance like that. And that remains to be seen. Maybe maybe it's one of those things, again, there are no fans in the stadium, no one getting on his back, playing with a little bit less pressure on him. 
Maybe it's just yeah. giving him a, a license to do what he does best. It was even a captain's performance against West Brom as well, you could argue, because, you know, yeah. lead, leading by example. And all right, he might not be the most vocal. And we've been very critical of him for, for not being a vocal captain. But if he's playing like that, then nobody criticizes him for, for being Fulham captain. He just had a halo around him that game. Honestly, what's interesting yeah. about it is that I don't think Ruben Loftus-Cheek could have done even half as well as Tom Kenny did that game. It's very annoying because we were so ready for Ruben Loftus-Cheek to sort of fill in that number 10 position or that attacking yeah. central midfield position. And now Tom Kenny does that. Maybe it's maybe that's the benefit of having the squad now with such healthy competition. That might be it, especially when Tete's uh, you know, back from injury too. It's almost catch-22 with Ruben Loftus-Cheek at the moment as well because he's not in form because he's not been playing many games and we were hoping that he was just going to come and play a few games for us and then get his form up and and get some momentum and you know now he's now he's found himself transferred from the Chelsea bench onto the Fulham bench I mean I mm. bet he didn't see that coming I bet that wasn't that was his that wasn't his goal for moving well, over to Southwest Six it's only it's only one game you know he might yeah slot back in for this one maybe they just didn't think he was um you know right well, come on then, Morgs. What's what's your lineup prediction for for West Ham away then? What 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 are you thinking? The same as this one. Yeah. Uh, same as West Brom. Uh, same as West Brom game. I think it would it would be very surprising unless he's forced to make a change that we'll see. Is Lamina is Lamina injured? Not sure. Oh, we don't know yet. I think he tweaked his hamstring, didn't he? That's what. Uh, yeah, a little say. niggle. But it might yeah, be so, precautionary him being sub, so he might actually be fit for this game. We don't know. I don't know sure. But then Reed coming in is probably not a bad shout because I think you need yeah. to have a little bit of that um, solidity back there. So you know, Reed and uh, Angisa. I mean, perfectly happy with that. Certainly away from home as well. Just sit, if, if you need somebody to sit back a little bit more, as opposed to I think Jay mate, you said on the pod this week that um, Lamina and Angisa both kind of charged forward, and it, it worked against West Brom. But maybe away from home against a more um, counter-attacking team, may, maybe not so much. So maybe it would it would work okay with Harrison Reed in in that position. But we are starting to see a little bit of strength in depth in the team now. All right, Tete's injured at the moment. But when he's fit, then you've got Aina and Tete competing for for that right back spot. Tete's crossing's probably better than Aina's, but when Aina can cut back inside and do what he did the other night, then fantastic. Then you've got Robinson and Brian competing for that left back spot. Um, yep. And Anthony Robinson was superb again the other night, and he has been in every game that I've seen him play, to be honest. And then Lamina and Reed as well. It's it's quite healthy competition. And the only weakness, as as we've said a few times, is is our right side. And we always talk about how mistakes in the Premier League are punished. And when other teams seem to make mistakes, we don't punish them enough. And Rob, um, Bobby Reed was the worst one for it uh, against West Brom when he didn't bury that open goal and um, allowed that defender to to save the ball on his line, albeit with his hand. Is he just kind of the best we've got in that position at the moment? I think so. And Morgs. You were mm. talking about AK, um, Abubakar Kamara, a couple of weeks ago, and, and we had some messages from people criticising you. And I thought you put your point across really well in asking the question where you said, um, "Who is there a worse player that's consistently made the Fulham lineup um, in the Premier League um, than, than Abubakar Kamara? And we had people e- uh, emailing us and contacting us via Twitter, via direct message, saying that they felt we were harsh. Well, come on then, tell us, tell us who you think's worse. Don't just criticise us for our opinion. Give your opinion. What's your opinion? Tweet That's it. That's the thing. I, did, I didn't say that just off the cuff. I'd thought about that. And it's one of those opinions. I was like, oh, do I want to air that? And, but I actually found it, sort of from my point of view, quite an interesting one because they actually did ask a very serious question. And 
football ter- in footballing terms because I couldn't think of one. And yeah. I can't either. I can't no. either. So I put that challenge to anybody listening. We're at Fulham underscore focus on Twitter. Tweet us. <laughs> anybody that you think has been worse for Fulham, who's held down a regular start in place than, than Kamara. And I ch- it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good challenge because I can't think of anybody. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sort of saying, obviously, regular. And, you know, that's 40, 50 games plus. I'm not talking about your uh, adult cheehees or anything like that. This is, yeah. this is not a one-hit no-wonder. Uh, it's, you know, I want to <laughs> know players that have held down a place and every week we've scratched our heads going, how the hell does he still play? Because yeah, that is my that was my Kamara argument. I didn't mean to be offensive to the people who thought I was being. I was clear, just purely stating it from a footballing point of view. Yeah, no, he's a lovely guy. Fair. I think he's going to have a good season, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Touchwood, you know, I would love to say that he is, uh, he will have a brilliant season and and I will happily eat my words at the end of it. But um, something tells me he might not. Well, he ain't going to be playing in this one. He's not going to be playing in this game. Go on, Jayak. Well, I was just going to say, just to do with lineups and stuff, I, like, Morgan would keep it the same unless, you know, Lamina's injured, put Harrison Reed in. But why we did so well, especially in the first half against West Brom, I think Danny actually mentioned this, and I tend to agree with him, is that we really won the midfield battle uh, with Anguissa and Lamina and Tom Kearney. Now, this one, you've got a slightly different situation because you've got Declan Rice, who the whole media are banging on about at the moment because he's English and, you know, all that kind of thing. And you've got Suchek. And that's going to be a much tougher, a much tougher competition in the middle of the park. So I think, yeah, we we should mustn't underestimate those two. And also, you know, I'm going to talk about it. You always do, but Jared Bowen against Anthony Robinson. Jared. That's Jared. That that is, you know, Jared Bowen isn't a mug as we know now, as he's made the step up to the Premier League very easily. So him taking on Anthony Robinson. I love Anthony Robinson, but that's that's again a much different kettle fish to what happened at West Brom as well. But I mean that Suchek guy, apparently he's really good. And I think we've got to be careful of him. But uh one other player who's gonna be uh hoping to make an impact would be um Ben Rama. Yeah, he'll probably come yeah. to the bench. But he'll be up about for, uh, yeah but he'll be up for a bit of vengeance, won't he really after you know after the playoff final. He's already um, had it. He scored against us for Brentford in the League Cup. That's his vengeance. He can play. Yeah, that's, 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 only half, that's only halfway there. I mean, you need, <laughs> you know, you need to score in that cauldron. I think he pretty much ended Hector's career. Was that end Hector's last game for us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, no, Hector ended Hector's career by doing, you know, being he'll, be he'll be back. He'll be back and he'll be better he'll than be ever. Back. Yeah. He definitely will. He's a, he's a great player. He's a great player. He's yeah, just a I, 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 I hope we, we do you, actually see him back fairly soon. I hope he's just having a bit of time in training just to sort of sort out, you know, sort out his head, maybe whatever it, it needs to come back. Because we need him playing like he did last season. And I think the player, that player is in there. And whatever's causing him not to be the same player, as soon as he gets that sorted out, I want to see him back in that team because he's a, you know, He's a solid defender. Yeah, definitely. All right. On that note, talking of Fulham defenders, I'm going to go over to a chat that I had recently with Danny about Ryan Fredericks, an ex-Fulham right back and current West Ham player. Fulham. Hello. Yes, it's the latest in our series of player in focus chats. I've got Danny with me. And this week we're focusing on the Fulham career of former Fulham right-back Ryan Fredericks. How you doing, Danny? Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, all good. 
Let's get into this one then. So, right back Ryan Fredericks signed for Fulham in bizarre circumstances. Having come through the Spurs Academy, he played a handful of European games at Tottenham, but most of his football since turning professional had come during loan spells at Brentford, Millwall and Middlesbrough before he moved permanently to Bristol City in 2015. I say he moved there permanently. He lasted just five matches before we signed him. What do you remember about that time? Yeah, it was very strange, wasn't it? That he signed for Bristol City and then went to come back. There was maybe personal reasons why he was desperate to come back to London, uh, which would make sense given that he'd only been there like a month or so. We we were lucky in the end, I think. It was we snapped up what was a very cheap deal in the circumstances. I think all we had to do was match the price that they paid for him in the first place, which was good of them to do. And it was an odd one. I was quite suspicious of it at the time. I thought, that's very odd. Why do they want to get rid of him so quickly? And he, of course, had several injuries uh, at the start of his film career. I thought he was going to be a sick note, but it all worked out in the end. Well, yeah, you mentioned those injuries, but did you expect him to be as important as he was to the team once he signed? Because after that Bristol City move, I thought, what have we got here? We've got somebody who's going to be a bad egg. That that was my, my initial worry about him. And then, of course, yeah, as you say, the injuries. So what did you think we were getting? I thought we were just getting a squad player, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but I'll be honest, at the time we had Jazz Richards, who we all know wasn't very good for Fulham and I thought you it was a toss of a coin who was going to play I, I didn't see much ability in, in Ryan Fredericks if you took away the pace but Slav worked on him and utilised him to the best advantage of the team you know like that pace was so deadly and we certainly used it to our advantage when Slav took over but originally when Kit Simons was in charge I wouldn't have been disappointed if Jazz Richard had played in front of him, which says a lot. So, no, I didn't expect him to go on and and be as important as he was. I think that time under Kit Simons, it was a transition period after Felix McGatt had completely shot the confidence of the team. But the signings we were making at the time almost felt like championship-level journeymen. And I felt like... At that time, we were just in the division to make up the numbers. You know, we had Joe Lewis in goal for a few games, couldn't settle on a keeper. Jamie O'Hara was in midfield, who I've never been a great fan of. And then husband on loan, Jazz Richards. Richard Stearman came in from Wolves, but, you know, never really got going. And it was just a weird time where I didn't really feel like there was much direction on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's fair. And... I know Kit Simons probably did hit a ceiling as a manager, but if you look at the tools he was given, he didn't have many, did he? Fair play to Kit, because under his time as manager, we signed Ryan Fredericks and Tom Kearney, and we obviously know how important they both went on to be. So, yeah, it was a strange time. But it was new ownership as well, wasn't it? So the Khans had been there for a year or two. In the first season, we'd been relegated and the, the team all left. The, all the Any Premier League quality we had left and the, the team just needed to be rebuilt. Felix McGatt was never going to be the man to do that. He was never going to be around for long. Um, yeah. And Kit was just kind of like an interim manager, wasn't he? Almost Obviously, he was the permanent manager at the time, but it almost felt like now you look back, he was kind of that bridge between the crap that had gone on before and then the good times that were to come. 
I just don't think anyone at the club at the time, given the lack of experience at the very top and, and the people that was just around the training ground and that, I don't think there was enough experience there to handle how big the transition had to be. Because obviously the, the squad that we went down with, when you go through it, there's some good names in there, some big names, but they was all at the end of their careers, which is why we went through that period of going through the motions and just signing average championship players. Well, he may have started off average, but Ryan Fredericks really came of age whilst he was at Fulham and he really came on and developed. And he was an integral part of the promotion winning side of 2017-18 because of his pace and his ability to support the attack. He was our outlet. He was massive. Yeah, it was predictable at times that we was going to get the ball to Kearney. Kearney was going to just bide his time, wait, wait for the right time. And bang, as soon as Ryan Fredericks made that run down the right, he was going to slip him through. He was just so fast that it was just unstoppable. Barmorte is my all-time favourite player. And I don't think that will ever change. But even with my biased goggles on, I've got to admit, Ryan Fredericks was faster. The, the, the fastest player I've ever seen. I always remember, it was almost a criticism of Ryan Fredericks at the time when people used to say that he always did the same trick where he got the ball, squared up to a defender and then just knocked it past him and went. And it, it would always be the same. It was almost like, oh, is he going to go left? Is he going to go right? But he'd always go right go and go past the defender. And people used to say, well, you know, why don't defenders anticipate that? But because of his pace... If a defender had anticipated it and shifted his weight to that side, then Fredericks could have just gone the other way and gone past him either way. So at that level, against slower players, he was just very difficult to play against, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it was impossible to defend against because you just can't stop it. So he did have one trick, but I think that also shows you that he, he was quite limited. I think given how many times he got to the byline, I don't think he's... Distribution was the greatest. It definitely got better as time went on. But we're looking at someone who was a very important player and indispensable to the team just because of his pace. I think if you took that away, I think there was a lot of flaws in his game that would have been exposed both defensively and in attack. But we don't have to talk about that because his pace was just a massive part of why we went up. Well, for somebody who got forward so much, the closest he ever got to scoring, actually, was the deflected shot against QPR at Loftus Road that season when we won 2-1, I think. Does it surprise you that he didn't score a few for us, given how far forward he was most of the time? Again, I don't want to knock him, to be honest, because I I really liked him. He was one of my favourite players because he was fast and exciting to watch. But it's quite a poor return, given how many times he found himself in the box. You expect a, a fullback to get at least a couple of goals, but it just wasn't his game, was it? He just wasn't a natural player in the final third. Uh, it's a shame that that goal didn't get credited to him because no one wants to claim an own goal, do they? So pretty sure it, it was going in anyway, weren't it? I'd have credited it to him, but you know, my opinion doesn't count for anything when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, but, but yeah, it's, your it's opinion, a shame. Your opinion doesn't even count in Fulham Focus, mate. So I don't <laughs> think the FA are going to care. Exactly, that's very true. (laughs) Um, Well, you say you don't want to criticise him, but 
He did almost spoil the playoff final at Wembley against Aston Villa when thankfully none of the officials saw his stamp on Jack Grealish right in front of the manager's dugouts. Steve Bruce was going absolutely crazy about it. And when you saw it again, it was a red card, wasn't it? He was a very lucky boy. And and if he'd have been sent off, then who knows what would have ended up happening that day because it was quite early on in the game as well. He had that edge to him. Uh, I thought if anyone in the team was going to lose it, it was certainly going to be him. Uh, yeah, he was very lucky at Wembley. It was just meant to be our day, wasn't it? Because I think if, if can you imagine if they had had VAR, he would have been off the pitch straight away. No chance of getting out of that one. And yeah, I just think in general, if anyone was going to lose their head, it was going to be him. And I always worried that was going to happen. But in the end, yeah, at Wembley, it was our day. And overall, I'm not going to hold it against him because he was fantastic that day, as were all the others. That incident always reminds me of um, when the Laurie Sanchez years or the Laurie Sanchez year when we beat Liverpool to stay up um, quite late on in that season when Liverpool put out a a reserve team because they were playing in the Champions League final in a few days' time and Robbie Fowler missed an absolute sitter. But in that game, Michael Brown went flying in with a tackle on the edge of the box, which again with VAR he would have been sent off for. And it was just a stupid, stupid tackle to make in that situation, given the nature of that game and how important it was. And Michael Brown had that side to his game throughout his career anyway. And the importance of the Aston Villa game, obviously um, at Wembley as well, both those games were to be in the Premier League the next season. And both those incidents were stupid. But the Ryan Fredericks one was more stupid just because it was a stamp. It wasn't even a tackle. It was petulant. And I'm just thankful that nobody saw it. And and we got away with one that day because on another day, the referee sees that and we're down to 10 men for most of the match. Well, Ryan Fredericks did leave the club under something of a cloud when he rejected a new contract offer and ended up walking away for nothing shortly after the playoff final. And he chose to sign for West Ham, having just been promoted with us. Does that tarnish his reputation amongst the fans for you? No, I don't really hold it against him. It would have been nice if he had stayed, but I think players at the end of the day have have got to look after themselves. And the fact that he signed for us so randomly after leaving Bristol City and allegedly for personal reasons, um, given how important he ended up becoming, I don't think he was one of the high earners. And he obviously got a better offer from West Ham who were an established Premier League club. And although Fulham maybe did him a favour by bringing him back at the time, I think he repaid that favour. So, no, I don't hold it against him. Would it have impacted Fulham's season in our last Premier League season had Ryan Fredericks signed the new contract and stayed? Do you think things would have turned out any differently? Oh, that's a good question. Um, No. I think we see the way West Ham play him. And although he, he does a job for them, uh, and I think he has actually scored a goal for them, funny enough, I don't think he has the same impact that he had with us playing against championship players. Like you said before, championship players are, are notoriously slow, whereas Premier League players are more athletic. So I think it would have made a difference, but I don't think it would have made enough of a difference to keep us up. Yeah, fair enough. I don't either, to be honest. Whilst he was good at getting forward, I think our main problems were defensive that season anyway. And I don't think one player was going to make a great deal of difference 
certainly not the amount of points that we needed to stay up that season that, that we were sure anyway. Um, well, what was your favourite Ryan Fredericks moment whilst he was at the club? Well, I mean, a fullback that doesn't score goals is uh, is quite limited, I suppose, to have a specific moment. But yeah, I think it was his home debut. I can't remember who it was against, but I think he came on as a sub. And the ball went forward and it was like a nothing ball on the counter-attack. And you thought, oh, defender's going to get there. Defender's going to get there. Defender's going to get there. Bloody hell, where's he come from? Usain Roadrunner. You know, I just wasn't expecting it. I couldn't believe how fast he was. He just burst out of nowhere and took the ball past the player. I think it ended up coming to nothing. Probably sums him up. But the sheer pace, I think, is the highlight of his time for me. It's just... I couldn't believe how fast he was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Morgs and I spoke about Paul Pesky Solido recently and and how quick he was. And when you're when you're not used to seeing that sort of pace in a team, as soon as someone comes in with a bit of pace, it really does stand out and it gets you off your seat, doesn't it? It gets you excited. Yeah, for me, there's nothing more exciting than speed. Even with the most average of players, if you've got fast players in your team, you stand a chance of breaking through the lines and getting into the box and, and creating chances. For me, pace is probably the most exciting thing about football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've come to the point in the in the chat where we've got to rate Ryan Frederick's career out of 10. I'm going to give him a 7. He was a great player to watch, but had we not been promoted with him in the team, then I'm not so sure that in 20, 30 years' time... I'd remember him so well, but because he was part of something great that happened, then he'll always be linked with something special with the club. So seven out of 10 for me. What about you, mate? Blimey, I think this is the first time I'm going to give a higher score than you. You normally just give it away. Um, (laughs) I'm going to give him a 7.5 because I think the 23 game and beat and run is, of course, uh, a record for us. Obviously, he gave us our day at Wembley and was certainly one of the most important players because of that pace. Get the ball to Kenny, Kenny wait for the run, play it in behind. It seemed to be the, the move we did every single game. And without him, I don't think we would have gone up. I don't think seven, you're doing him a, a disservice, but I'm going to give him a 7.5. Yeah, right. I'm happy All with right, that. Mate. All right, mate. Lovely stuff. All right, let's leave it there then. Let's pass that back to the main show. Thanks, mate. Fulham. Right, so it's straight on to Stato Stats then. Morgs, what have you got for us? So I have got, starting off with, our record against the Hammers. So overall, we have won 32, we've drawn 23, we have lost 48 though. And in our um, out of our 51 away games against them, we've only won 10. So 20% record, not great. We've only won three out of the last 10 games against them, all of which came at the Cottage. We have only played them once at the Olympic Stadium so far. And as we mentioned earlier, that was the 3-1 loss back in that horrific season in 2018-19. The last time we beat West Ham in an away game was back in February 2004 in the FA Cup, which was a 3-0 fifth round replay win. Goals for Brian McBride, Luis Belmorte and Barry Hales. Our last league away win against the Hammers was back in November 2001, which was our first season in the Premier League, when Sylvain Leguinsky and Steed scored. I believe that was also our first away league win, Premier League. It definitely was, yeah, I remember. It definitely was. And then 
back in 2018-19, we went a whole season without picking up a point against a London rival. And the last time we got an away win against a London team in the Premier League was the 4 win against Palace when Haitim Kasami scored that wonder goal. And the last time we won both home and away against London-based teams in the Premier League was in the season where we beat West Ham 2-1 at the Cottage. Goals from Sidwell and Berbatov. For West Ham, though, the Olympic Stadium is far from a fortress. And, of course, the intimate setting that was the bowling ground. And since they moved there, their record in London derbies is one seven drawn three and lost seven and... Can I just ask, since since yeah. when did everyone start calling it the bowling ground because when i was growing up for years and years it was upton park then all of a sudden everybody just started referring to it as the bowling ground well i think traditionally it is called the bowling ground i'm not quite sure uh was upton park like the um nearest tube station or something like that no. uh, but i think true fan well true west ham fans call it the bowling ground but I may be wrong on that, but I think... Well, if you can always tell how posh someone is when they say bowling. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bowling even like to say bowling. Mate. I go bowling. <laughs> it's the Sorry, bowling mate. ground. But it's always been Upton Park Rock to me roll. anyway. I'm going to say Upton Park so people don't quite get how posh I am. Although thanks to J-Mac, it's, uh, it's a yeah. pretty even playing field. I just, I just <laughs> want to jump in really quickly on something because you talked about our past record with West Ham. The, the reason I'm just really quickly a bit iffy with West Ham and their fans is because when I was just a civilian, I wasn't supporting Fulham. It was in January the 30th. I looked this up. We won 3-1 against them in 2013. So the season just before we got relegated. And I was just on at Putney Bridge Station about to get the train home. Obviously, all the away fans, we just won the game. And I'm just I'm not supporting Fulham by this point, but I'm on the train. And then I just, on the opposite side of the station, these three West young West Ham fans were just on the, on the bench on the other side of the platform. They just looked at me and I just looked at them and they just gave me a huge middle finger and just went like that really loudly. But I was just like, they, I remember just seeing them and just thinking, all right then. And then just ever since then, I've hated West Ham and I've supported Fulham. So like, I mean, sort of helped me my way I forward there. I can't disagree with them. No, no. I mean, you know, you must, I'll tell you what, you must yeah. have given them a severely passive aggressive stare when they did that. I am quite intimidating. Anyway, just to look at West Ham's uh, stats at a glance really quickly. The only home win so far this season was their 4-0 win against Wolves. Um, also, their only clean, clean sheet. Other home game was a draw against City and a 2-0 defeat to Newcastle. So they've been consistently inconsistent. And that's the reason that actually we shouldn't be too fearful of them. Um, currently, 100% of their goals conceded at home this season have come in the second half. 60% of the goals they've scored have in the first half. And last season, they only got six home wins all season, which is mad if you more think about it, that they didn't actually flirt with relegation a bit more. Scored an average of 1.6 goals per game, but conceded an average of 1.7. They scored first at home in 10 of their 19 home games last season and were leading at halftime in eight of those 19 games. They conceded an equaliser on seven of those occasions. Conversely, West Ham's opponents took the lead 12 times at the Olympic Stadium and West Ham only scored an equaliser on three occasions. New signings, as Morgan was talking about earlier, you've got Thomas Suchek, Czech midfielder, and he was alone at the Hammers last season and impressed enough for them to make a £15 million permit signing um, from Slavia Prague, who likes to get on the end of crosses while also breaking up the play. He makes 2.1 tackles and 1.1 interceptions per game and 2.3 shots per game this season to show this. So, a dangerous player for us. And the other guy you've got, West Ham decided to go back to Slavia Prague and buy their right back, Kufal, for £5 million. Primary is cover for the injury of the injury prone our own Brian Fredericks already managed one assist in four games and an impressive 0.8 key passes per game their wing backs will be dangerous if they stick with their back five formation which I guarantee they will 
And also you've got Syed Ben Rama, but the less said about him, the better, because we all know what he's like and how good he is. Well, this is a big game for us, guys. Our next few games are tough, because after the West Ham game, we've obviously got the international break. Then we've got Everton at home, Leicester away, Man City away, and Liverpool at home. It is an important game. And I don't just want to say, oh, well, it'll be good to play well, but we might lose. I want to say we're going to win. So what's your score prediction? Morgs, I come to you first, mate. I want to say we're going to win. I don't think we will. Our away Um, away record in the Premier League is so bad. It's so bad. And I think... I don't count away games like I would have done in the past when there were people in the stadiums. But it's a very different ground to playing at Craven Cottage. The pitch is bigger. It's a big, vast emptiness. You know, there's not the same. The elements won't be the same. I think we will score, but I think West Ham will as well. And I think it's going to be two all. I I refuse to go full loss, but I don't think we are going to get the win, which is a shame because I think we do need it again. I'd take take two all. I mean, last week, uh, it went against everything that I believe in to to not predict a full-on win against West Brom. And none of us did that were on the show. We all said it was going to be a draw and they surprised us. And part of me wants to wants to say a draw again. I hope that Fulham upgrade on on that prediction and, and we get a win. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you as well. But I'm going to say one all. How about you, J Mac? I'm going to go with two one. I think we're going to score first. I think it's going to be a penalty. I think they're going to equalise in the second half, and then oh, um, right. we're good at penalties as well, aren't we? So that'll be good. Yeah, I think Mitch is going to get some redemption for that, and then I think um, Tom Kenny is going to score the winner. I oh, think two one. Nice. That's wonderfully optimistic. That's going to change in a few days, isn't it? Place your bets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get the chart. <laughs> I like your style, mate. I like it. All right, let's leave it there. As always, lads, thanks for joining me. J-Mac, you're going to be back in the hot seat on Monday for the match reaction, right? Who have you got with you? It's Master Will Oakley and it is Mr. Baldo as well. Yeah. Oh, the dream. you. Yeah. As if I lockdown just... isn't depressing enough. Yeah, I know. I know, right? It's Stuck in a be... virtual room with Baldo. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's hope we're winning the game then. That's all I can say. Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks to you all at home for joining us as always. Stay safe and get through this latest lockdown and hopefully Fulham will be picking up a few points along the way. I'll speak to you all soon. Cheers. Fulham. <laughs>